Hello, and welcome to Elder Health Connection, a podcast where I gather innovators in elder health care to discuss their unique perspectives on caregiving and care receiving. My name is Caroline Morris, and I use my combined experience in biochemistry, physical therapy, health coaching, and growing up next door to my grandparents to dig deep into the complexities of aging and then draw out practical solutions that can fit into your life. I record this show from my home in Alexandria, Virginia, sometimes with the input from my dogs, Benny and Barry. Thank you for joining us today. Today's episode is brought to you by my caregiver coaching program. This program is for you if you are an overwhelmed caregiver looking for help navigating the healthcare system to reduce the confusion and headaches. You want to have consistent energy to get more done in less time. And you really want to feel strong physically and emotionally for this season of life that you're in. And we do this all without neglecting your responsibilities or losing your independence. To learn more about this program and to sign up, head on over to carolinemorris.com and click on Work With Me. Today, we are joined by Dr. Delon Canterbury of Geriatrics, who is going to give us vital information on medications. So you should pay extra attention if you yourself are on five medications or more or the person you're caring for, or you partner with or love is on five medications or more. Dr. DeLong Canterbury is a board certified geriatric pharmacist who focuses on the special needs of older patients who may have multiple illnesses taking multiple medications. And he has an extensive background ranging from personalized care, medication deprescribing, and health cost savings. I have really enjoyed getting to know Dr. Delon Canterbury lately. I think he's an excellent advocate for older adults, for the people who work with them, and is really bringing about an important change in the healthcare industry. He gives us really actionable information about how we can start thinking a little bit more critically about the medications we're on, who in our immediate network we can reach out to, and he gives us information about how to work with him as well. If you happen to be a clinician or a healthcare professional listening to this podcast, check out the show notes for some extra resources for how Dr. Delon Canterbury can help you improve your own practice in safe deprescribing. So I can't wait for you to hear what wisdom and critical information Dr. Delon has for us today. All right, today we have Dr. Delon Canterbury joining us um, on Elder Health Connection. Welcome, Delon. Hey, what's going on? Appreciate you inviting me on today, Caroline. Hope you're doing well. I am, and how about you? I'm good. It's, um, it's a beautiful day out. I cannot complain. So things are going well on my end. I'm happy. 
Great. Thanks for asking. Yes, of course. And we have such an important discussion ahead of us today talking about medications and the older adult. So mm. before we dive into that, Delon, do you mind sharing with us a little bit about your background and how you came to be passionate about this topic? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. So uh, I am, again, Delon Canterbury. I am a board-certified geriatric pharmacist and finished up from pharmacy school from University of North Carolina in 2014. And in my career for the last, you know, seven years or so, I've seen countless groups of people suffering from honestly being over-medicated. You know, when you work at a retail pharmacy setting, you get things thrown at you left and right. And you really start seeing or asking what is the root cause of some of these issues. And lo and behold, there is such a lack of really continuity between different pieces of our healthcare. So from the pharmacy to the doctor's office to operational tables, whatever the case may be, there's just so many holes in our healthcare system. And I started seeing a lot of my patients fall through the cracks and it tended to be either my elderly patients or my minority patients. So I was like, okay, what can we do to bridge this gap and educate and empower our providers on ways to avoid some of the harm I've been seeing in my patients? I mean, duplicate therapies, drugs given to people that have known allergies. Um, there's just a lot of inefficiencies in our health system, particularly when it comes to filling prescriptions. So I honestly, you know, got really burned out serving as a pharmacy manager at Walgreens for the, last, for the first three, four years of my career. I felt there had to be a better way of managing people's care, especially since like 80% of all medicine is a medication of some sort that people are taking. And I'm like, we got to do better. And what I'm finding time and time again was one, how little I knew as a pharmacist in my training at even number one pharmacy school, they say, I don't know what that means, but they say it's number one, right? <laughs> and I didn't really know much about geriatric care or geriatric pharmacology or whatever. And it opened my eyes to how ignorant I was. And it inspired me to get an advanced degree in understanding the geriatric uh, pharmacotherapy piece. And once I did that, it was like, whoa, there's so much stuff that we're messing up on <laughs> in our health system. And I felt that as a pharmacist, who better to advocate for helping people get off of less, get off of their meds that aren't needed and finding alternatives, solutions to, for people that can be cost efficient and more aligned with their personal goals, right? So I felt that our metrics driven, very much money over quality healthcare system, especially from a retail pharmacy setting was really really soul crushing for me, you know, it was depressing and I was angry. I was frustrated and I felt there's going to be something else I can do. And so I eventually in 2020 stepped down from Walgreens and decided to jump into starting my own company where I help families and caregivers, particularly in the geriatric space, get off of unnecessary medications using de-prescribing using genetic testing, which is a cool way of checking your body for any gene drug interactions. 
and advocating. That was the piece that I felt was missing was really advocating for families and loved ones to get their the best healthcare that they can with minimizing the meds because we're so quick to just add on a new med. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be the anti-pharmacist and literally just start getting people off and calling myself the de-prescriber because we're heading into a world where there's more and more aging people and less and less providers to take care of them who have less and less geriatric training. So why not use our skill sets as advocates to educate and empower families, but also improve quality of life? And that's what my company Geriatrics does today with our de-prescribing medication plans. Yeah, that's such an important service you're providing. And like you said, it doesn't really exist all that often right now. I'm sure you're one of a hand, small handful of people really focused on this. And I imagine mm -hmm. in your work at Walgreens, you just saw the stacking of medication after medication with the patients you were serving. Yeah. Time and time again, I mean, I honestly was the culprit, you know, I would put my initials on so many bottles of oxycodone or Percocet or unnecessary meds, knowing that there's a chance that it's going to be abused or harmed or, or inappropriately um, sold or whatever, and, and it, could, it could lead to death. So I, it, it took a toll on me and even meds that were well-intentioned, like the blood thinners, I've seen, you see so many interactions come out of it and you wonder, man, <laughs> if I wasn't here, this person would be dead, but it shouldn't be this way, right? It shouldn't be this reactive approach to, oh, now let's, well, now let's fix the meds. Like, why are we waiting for the pharmacist to hopefully catch an error that should have been caught eight, 10 people before me? And it's not just all in the doctor, but it's everything, you know? And that's mm -hmm. where I'm like, we have to treat and change our medication mindset differently in this country from the patient standpoint and from the provider standpoint. Yeah, and can you tell us a little bit about what goes into being trained as a pharmacist? What do you know that maybe a physician doesn't know um, and where do you complement each other? Absolutely, so uh, pharmacists are, have for, for most part, are doctors of pharmacy. They've completed, uh, you know, four extra careers at school's years of training, focusing on pharmacology, which is a study of meds, how the medications work in the body, how the body responds to it. We have our, an expertise in handling side effects, um, managing alternative options, understanding how the drugs work. And all that being said, that is what our, our specialty is in. However, we aren't utilized to really leverage all those skills clinically in our healthcare system. We're more so glorified bartenders in the retail setting, which you know is people don't like that word, but the truth is that's what we are. Um, but in terms of the differences of where we come to play for the provider standpoint is that our general providers, they literally have four to six weeks of pharmacology in all of their med school because their jobs are focused on diagnosing and, and managing. Like their job is to know what the ideology is, what the path of is, is, and how to rule out other causes. That's not what pharmacists do, that's what providers do. So I thank God, because it's too much for me. But 
what people don't fail to realize is with just having four to six weeks of maybe pharmacology, they are the ones who prescribe all the medications. And so how can you truly assume someone with four to six weeks of pharmacology knows all about the meds? They don't. And they'll tell you to their face, they don't know all about the meds. They may know like their favorites or the few in their specialty that they work very well with, but pharmacists are there to support them with the meds. That's what we do. That's our expertise. So why wouldn't you want a pharmacist involved or at least advised before you prescribe patients meds and then wait for unfortunately a, a reaction to happen and then it's like now we're retroactively trying to fix the problem so i think that's something we have backwards in our system and we both need each other there's no ongoing war against pharmacists and physicians we all play on each other but i think what's lacking is the public perception and frankly the lack of recognition that pharmacists have to offer in our expertise from our training, but more so in that advocacy and accessibility piece. Like 90% of the country is five miles from a pharmacy and they can go in and ask any question and get any answer they need. So that level of access is a blessing, but we still don't even get the acknowledgement or even build for that type of life-saving service that we provide day in, day out. So that can be a bit frustrating. Yeah, I would say until I worked in a hospital, I had no clue the amount of skill and training that pharmacists have, because all I had ever known them as was the person behind the counter filling <laughs> the bottles. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I would get asked a lot, do you want to speak to the pharmacist? But I don't think I even knew what questions I would ask, because I didn't understand yeah. what mm -hmm. they knew or how they could help me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's normal. I get it. You know, <laughs> here we are with doctorates and, uh, you know, it happens. So I, I completely understand. I completely understand, but yeah, pharmacists are everywhere. We're not just in, in, in pharmacies and hospitals. I mean, we're in research. We help make the drugs. We, we talk about the clinical data. We do public health work. I mean, you can name any type of doctor. There's literally that same type of pharmacists. People don't know that they're oncology pharmacists or cardiovascular pharmacists. They're all types. So it, it really does vary. And so I, mine specialty is actually in geriatrics. And so I hope to just, again, share that expertise with fellow geriatricians and other people just like yourself who are in senior care facing spaces who, who know what it's like to have to be the advocate, but don't quite know what the meds are doing. Mm -hmm. And so can you summarize for us maybe what some of the main problems are that you see in the field of geriatrics and especially from the patient perspective or the family perspective, sure. what's going wrong and how do we know it's going wrong? So it's a great question, quite multi-layered, especially come from the patient and caregiver perspective. Unfortunately, our caregivers are not really listened to. They are often, I feel, neglected when it comes to knowing the patient, at least in the doctor's office, I feel. And so sometimes they feel like they're, what they're experiencing can be maybe not listened to, not heard, or not even received by the primary care provider. So that could be an issue sometimes because, well, they're not considered to be a clinician, but that's not. That's not fair. That's not part of the, the clinical makeup is there as much as a team, as much as vital in your assessment as the patient. 
So sometimes I hear, you know, that frustration of feeling like things are falling on deaf ears or they're not being listened to from the caregiver perspective. Also, what's frustrating is that they don't know who to even ask. They don't have time. They're overwhelmed. They got to worry about putting dinner on the table, let alone taking care of Mima or whoever, and, you know, trying to make sure that they even eat today. And so they're already trying to deal with life, let alone their own life, let alone their loved ones or their kids, and then paying the bills and managing all these things. And they rarely have the advocates, the resources, or the bandwidth to like add more onto their plate. And so it's really difficult, one, when you're so strapped for time and energy on like knowing what you can do and what's easily accessible to get the best results. And so when you're in it, you're just kind of in it. And what I find sometimes is people don't really <laughs> grow up knowing, oh, I'm going to be a caregiver in 10 years when my uncle gets worse. You, you, you get thrown into it and there's a very high learning curve and you end up finding that there's so many barriers in our healthcare system. There are barriers in just getting free tools and resources at your local area agency office, right? It's even knowing to ask whether there's a local area office on agency near you is a huge thing for people in, their, in this population. There are caregivers who don't know a thing about caregiving, right? How can we expect caregivers to suddenly become medication administrators, counselors, interpreters, you know, psychologists? They're gonna be frustrated too and burned out. And so I think caregivers need more support. They need more paid services for what they're doing because they're losing time. They honestly get burned out. They get sick caregiving and they end up being in the hospital because they're so run down from taking care of their loved ones. So. There, there are a number of issues in my specific field when it comes to the medications. That's even more out of their element, right? They just know that this, this, it is something for something, and we don't really know what's up. And so a lot of times they take whatever their loved ones are, are, are prescribed at face value and assume, well, this is probably what's best, so you got to take it anyway. So assuming that, they're not quick to question, do they really need this? They don't know that people can be over-medicated even if the meds are appropriate, right? They don't know that some medications may cause more harm than good when they reach a certain age. And if you don't know which question is to ask, like, is my loved one on more than five medications? What's the timeline for this medication? How do I know when to stop? Or maybe, you know, assuming that everything over-the-counter or herbal is safe, which is not the case, have they asked for any drug interactions? They don't know where to even start with the meds. So it's like so much just going to caregiver and patient where we, I feel, as a healthcare system aren't doing enough of this unified effort to really educate them along that journey so that they have that concierge approach. And that's why I'm like, let's do things differently with my company and say, let's work with the family for the family on their time and move them along the process so that they're not feeling lost or just like, well, we'll see you next month when your refill comes due, right? It shouldn't be that way. It should be, if there's a question, you're going to ask. Because if you don't answer those questions, you learn that those social barriers are what lead to better outcomes versus you just having the best medication plan ever. Yeah, I think you bring up some really good points in that. And from, you know, my experience more in the therapy world, a lot of the conversation is just around medication adherence. So just getting people in a routine to take the medications they're prescribed, getting pill boxes, reminders, systems all in place. 
But all of that assumes that the medications prescribed are actually appropriate for the person yeah. taking them. And I think yeah. sometimes we don't give people the benefit of the doubt that they're not taking their medications because they really don't feel good when they're mm -hmm. taking them. And maybe it mm -hmm. is not the right medication for them. Right. So true. Um, man, I mean, it happens so often. I mean, and that's why sometimes I have a very, um, I don't really like the word non-compliant or non-adherent. I feel like it's like a, a catch-all phrase to just put the onus on the patient instead of the bigger issue at hand. And sometimes it could be as simple as a language barrier. I mean, I've had patients who've had heart failure and they didn't feel like they needed need to take something twice, took it once, and they're wondering why it's not working. And again, side effects are real. And if you don't communicate up front what to expect or what could happen, then the patient's just going to stop taking it and not tell you until a month or three later. Then you realize the system, the, the health condition's gotten worse, and now you have to go pull up bigger guns of your medication arsenal to treat the issue at hand. So you're right. There's so many barriers. There could be language. It could be access. It could be health literacy, which is a huge one. We can't just say everyone's non-compliant or not adherent. And if there's a side effect, again, we as pharmacists are required in that pharmacy when you're asked, do you have any questions for the pharmacist? That's a legal requirement. However, most people are, don't want to ask anything because it's a pharmacy. You're busy. You don't want to bother the pharmacist. You don't feel comfortable. You don't want to ask. Again, that isn't enough. And so when they go home with their questions and something happens, it's like, well, doc, I'm just not going to take it. And then it ends up being another issue down the road and a harder battle to fight. Yeah. So what do you think would be some good questions to ask a pharmacist if someone was just starting to better understand the role, wanting to get more involved with knowing about their medications and being more active in the choice to take them? What would be some good starting questions? Well, in my realm, I try to focus on having patients on the least amount of medications as possible. And so one of our key services with geriatrics is to provide de-prescribing. And that's the safe removal of potentially harmful or inappropriate medications. And so as we age, our bodies change. Our bodies no longer break down drugs that were once appropriate the same. And so our liver changes, our kidney function changes, the way we absorb drugs change. And when all these things change, we realize as we age that simply these effects can be either potentiated, dulled, or completely harmful just because your age is different. Even though it was cool before, it may not be cool now. So I like getting my patients into the habit of asking, especially if their loved ones are on tons of meds. The first one being is, are you on more than five medications? That's the number one question I have everyone ask. And sadly, you'll find a lot of people over 60 are on more than that. So the reason being is being on five or more is what puts patients at risk of a term called polypharmacy, which is the use of a number of meds, sometimes a number of different pharmacies or different providers who may write different prescriptions, but they don't know what each other are doing in the body until they come to the pharmacy and then an error happens and I catch it. 
when this happens, patients are known or statistically proven to be less, actually less compliant because they're taking more meds and they don't have the schedule and bandwidth to take all those things. And that kind of makes sense. There's a higher pill burden. There's higher costs. There's a higher risk of drug interactions. There's a higher risk of side effects. All of these things can happen with polypharmacy. So the number one question is, are you on more than five? Statistically, when it's more than five, you start seeing uh, a propensity for harm in the patient and lack of controlled quality outcomes. The next thing is, are there any changes in your patient's behavior or your loved one? Are they having any sudden changes in appetite, mood, sedation, confusion, any fatigue? A lot of times people kind of just assume, oh, they're just getting old, so that's fine. You want to question everything. They are more sensitive to some of these medications now. So you want to absolutely see and be uh, cognizant of any changes in their behavior, um, attitude, energy at all, and be mindful of what might have changed. It could be a change in medication dose. It could be a change in their diet. They could be getting less water, right? These things can all affect the meds, but it can also affect your, your mood. Thirdly, is asking with my meds, do I need these meds to literally live? Ask that for every question. You'll find most of them you don't need. In fact, you'll find most of them you could probably safely stop, which I'm recommending you do with the supervision of a doctor, of course, and have no side effects. And this is particularly if you're older and relatively doing fine, right? So when you wanna ask, is this vital for me to live? Is this life-sustaining? Is this effective? Is how long do I need to be on this? These are the type of open-ended questions you want to ask. And not just one time, but every time your loved one is going to the doctor's office. And you'll find that there's something they probably don't need. You'll also find that you can get off of some meds just by dietary changes, lifestyle changes, um, behavior, exercise, these things can actually reduce the need for certain medications. I mean, stretching can reduce the need for taking Tylenol if you have back pain. Like you, things can be done to avoid a med. The question is, is someone helping you along those, those processes? And that's where pharmacists come into play or PT, just like yourself, to help people see alternative regimens. Um, so there are a number of questions you can ask, but are you on my own more than five? How long did I have to be on these meds? Is it completely essential and vital for me to be on it? If not, what can we do to get off of it? What are non-farm options, non-pharmacological options we can use to prevent me from having to get another refill? All of these can save you money in the long run as well, which we all need. Yeah, that's a great summary and very actionable information too. I think it's are you on more than five? Most people will know that right off the top of their head, whether they are or not. And then those other questions about, you know, real back to basics. Do I need this to survive? You know, I think sometimes everything can feel like life or death with some of these prescriptions and diagnoses, but as you're reminding us, it, it might not be. And then- yeah. The timeline, I think, is an underrecognized thing as well, where people 
will be prescribed something in the assumption from usually both parties, the physician and the patient, is that this is an ongoing thing and the dose might only go up over time because things get worse. Is that what you're finding or am I just assuming that? Oh, no, you you nailed it. You nailed it. There is unfortunately this very sinister process that happens in our health system and it's called the prescribing cascade. And this is what happens when people are on medications and that one medication that they were using to help with, say, say blood pressure, they were using for blood pressure ended up causing foot swelling, right, as a side effect. And so what's happened sometimes is a provider may just see the foot swelling as, oh, you have another problem instead of, oh, this is a side effect of the first medication. So what they do is write a second prescription to treat that first side effect for the, for the foot swelling. Now that foot swelling medication is gone or foot swelling is gone, but now they have stomach upset. And now you end up saying, oh, you got a new prescription. All right, well, let's get you another one. Let's treat your stomach upset. And this is what's called a prescribing cascade. So so on and so on, more meds are added on, which are misconstrued as a side effect for the first as a whole new health condition. And this happens all the time. This is literally why pharmacists exist, is to avoid this. But that risk is only there if you're still on a ton of meds, right? If you're already on meds and they lead to potential issues in the future, that risk of happening is is increased. That's just what it is. That's what it means by definition. So our jobs, at least my job as a de-prescribing pharmacist is to get people off these meds safely and avoid the prescribing cascade, which again, is well-intentioned by the provider to treat it because that's their, that's what they're trained to do. They're trained to diagnose and treat, but they don't they aren't as adept at knowing what's causing something. If it's a side effect versus a, a whole new symptom, because well, that's what the healthcare system wants to do is to treat and treat and treat. And yet we're not trained how to really holistically think about the patient and look at other sources instead of what's in our silo of our specialty. Yeah. And I'm finding more and more people are yearning for that root cause approach to their own health to really get to the bottom of what's actually going on and not just keep tacking on more diagnoses mm-hmm. and more medications for them. Yeah, correct. It's true. So what are some of the kind of worst case scenarios of medication harm or polypharmacy that you've seen? Fortunately, I haven't had any patients die in my experience from it. Worst case scenario is death always. Um, but what I've seen was with my very first patient who was a 70 year old woman who was on 36 medications. Okay? Wow. She was on 36 medications. It was completely asinine how this woman was surviving, but she was on this for a couple of years and was in and out of nursing homes. I, I She was actually my first patient case. And she uh, was characterized as being a walking zombie. She was just sedated out of it, just kind of comatose every day, wasn't remembering where she was, just wasn't enjoying life at all. 
And so her daughter was really scared and, and reached out to me to see if I can help with her case. And so we did, and we were able to de-prescribe her from 36 medications down to eight medications wow. that we consider to be vital and life-sustaining. So that's just the work of me, one pharmacist, right? This woman likely would have died if she hadn't come across us um, sooner. This woman, unfortunately, was uh, on the brink of being sent to a memory care nursing home uh, where her family would have spent well over tens of thousands of dollars just a month for her to stay in. So it's been what, two years? They would have, they would have been spending well over $250,000 if they hadn't worked with us. So imagine the amount of people in this world who don't have a pharmacist to advocate for them, right? Who don't have someone to speak up and get them off of meds safely. This woman literally went from a walking zombie to her old vibrant self dancing, laughing, remembering you know, her grandbabies, going on vacations, getting her life back. And that, that is priceless. That is completely priceless being able to get your loved one back so they can age gracefully and independently. So all of this was done because of negligence. She had multiple prescribers. She had polypharmacy. She had the prescribing cascade, numerous issues. And we were able to prove um, in court because we were able to serve as wow. medical experts in court that she was being over-medicated. Whereas, unfortunately, the ugly side of the story, her other half of the family wanted to involuntarily commit her into that nursing home because she was wealthy and they wanted to seize her assets and her money and her house. So very ugly story, but we were able to save our patient's life, get her life back and save them well over six figures at this point. So. It was, it was definitely my calling as a pharmacist to affirm that what I'm doing in stepping down from pharmacy manager at Walgreens to starting geriatrics and getting people off of meds needs to be my sole purpose in life as a pharmacist. So that's what I do. And yeah. as bad as it gets, it, it can always be worse. I mean, I've had patients suffering from herbal toxicities. I've had patients sent to the ER from taking too much aspirin. Um, I've got patients who've suffered from um, delirium because they took Benadryl to go to sleep. It could be small things. It could be big things. But the issue is we have to be diligent in asking every question possible about every drug possible in order to really get the best out of our care, or you may fall through the cracks like a lot of my patients have in the past. Yeah, this, that's a really compelling story of that first patient of yours. It's dram yeah. dramatic impact and you know makes total sense why you would commit your life to this work. It's so important. Yeah. But are there any drug classes or medications that should really never be used in the older adult or rarely used things that would be red flags for you? Yeah, I actually discussed this. I actually developed a de-prescribing accelerator program to train 
senior care providers on how to spot some of these drugs that I'm about to give you. And so we literally help pharmacists, nurses, and other people on how they can advocate for their patients by identifying them and reducing harm. So there are medications that are most associated with sending seniors to the ER. Now, first and foremost, we're in the middle of an opioid pandemic, and that's a huge one, all because our elderly patients are, you know, uh, in the middle of it doesn't mean that they're ex excluded from the opioid pandemic. And so there is an uptick of opioid misuse and abuse in our seniors. And opioids tend to lead to increased falls, uh, increased risk of overdosing, respiratory failure, cognition impairment with benzodiazepines, which are ZX, alprazolam, clonazepam, medications that are sometimes used inappropriately for sleep and anxiety in elderly patients. If you have any patients that are on those drugs, particularly opioids or benzodiazepines, which again, clonopin, valium, temazepine, PAM, et cetera, those are the two biggest ones I try to avoid in my elderly. Um, there is a list of drugs, and these two are on them. Um, there's a list called the Beers List, and this was developed by the American Geriatric Society. And I use this and teach my uh, cohort members how to use this to spot those harmful meds. And this list gives a general recommendation of what to avoid in elderly patients. Pretty simple. And, and they tell you why. So I mentioned falls, risk of uh, overdosing, respiratory failure, uh, fractures associated with falls with opioids, and uh, benzodiazepines, but there, there are tons more. And, and one that's really sneaky, I would say, are uh, NSAIDs. So drugs like ibuprofen, Aleve, naproxen, uh, ketoprofen, all those kind of uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, like those you wanna use very cautiously in our seniors. One, their kidneys don't work the same. Two, uh, seniors tend to be more dehydrated, and these drugs not only can be dehydrated, but they can also damage kidney function. And when that happens, it, it can affect how your drugs are cleared. Also, these drugs worsen heart failure, they worsen kidney failure, they can elevate your blood pressure. And a lot of times they're just seen as a simple over-the-counter drug. So people just think it's over-the-counter, it's safe, it shouldn't be a problem, but they actually have tons of interactions with blood thinners, um, they can cause GERD or stomach upset, heartburn. I mean, the list goes on with NSAIDs. So I try to have people really limit them for just, you know, fevers if need be, but it shouldn't be really used chronically. I, I it really should not be used chronically at all. I recommend, if anything, for pain to consider Tylenol um, over NSAIDs. Uh, but I would say big ones, again, are the opioids. I would say benzodiazepines, I see them a ton. Another one that I hate to see are antipsychotics in dementia patients, dementia patients, people who have cognitive impairment. There are tons of medications you have to avoid in this group of people. Benadryl is one of the biggest ones that I've seen send people with dementia to the ER. So please do not give your loved one Benadryl to help them sleep if they have any cognitive impairment or dementia or of any sort, that is a big no-no. 
it can spiral their dementia out of control. Just like what happened to my grandmother who actually was prescribed an inappropriate medication when she was in a nursing home. So she was actually the reason why I started this company. She had mild dementia and was given an antipsychotic while she was in a nursing home. And lo and behold, that medication was given inappropriately just to sedate her and control her. It didn't do that. In fact, it worsened all of her symptoms. It caused her to wander, to be more irritable, to be angry. It got so bad that it even kicked her out of her nursing home to where my parents had to bring her in and, uh, and take care of her while they were both full-time parents, uh, full-time, uh, full-time workers, you know? So it was very difficult seeing my parents have to, tr- to transition and take care of her. And then we don't find out until four months that it was really one medication that we ended up stopping and she got better. So antipsychotics, which are generally used for people who have bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, Um, Unfortunately, there is a very high use of them in our seniors, especially in nursing homes and long-term care facilities. So don't assume because they're in a facility that they're safer. It's definitely not true. In fact, they tend to have the worst, they have the highest numbers of risk. So again, be diligent. But there are are tons of drugs, so it's always helpful to leverage your, your pharmacist to help you guide that process along. But just off the bat, definitely avoid those antipsychotics in dementia patients, please, if you can, look for other options for pain management outside of opioids. There is clinically no benefit for long-term use of opioids, literally for anything. I would say the only exception would be maybe cancer therapies and like really, really rare instances of like fibromyalgia or autoimmune disorders, rare. But most times people who have like chronic low back pain, the evidence of using a long-term opioid isn't even there. It's just, well, we know it works, so let's just put you on. And you honestly, you ask these patients, they're still in pain. They're like, eh, it, it takes the edge off a little bit, but I'm still like feeling like crap. So there are other modalities to treat pain. So I always encourage people to look at other ways and ask, how can I get out these meds safely? Uh, but I can honestly talk for hours about which meds yeah. are to be avoided. This is a great overview. And I like that you brought up the pain piece, both with opioids and NSAIDs, because I certainly see a lot of patients, particularly those with arthritis who take NSAIDs daily just to Mm. function. And in some ways, I'm glad in my work as a PT that I don't have the authority to prescribe medication and have to be creative and come up with different ways to manage pain, but there, like you said, there are a lot of other ways to manage pain. And, and if we're talking root cause again, to reduce the inflammation in the joints, causing the arthritis. So we don't end up in the emergency department with a a bleed in the GI tract or um, another, another side effect from it. Absolutely. Are there any supplements or herbs that should be avoided in older adults? That's another one that'll take me <laughs> hours to dive into. Okay, but... or your top, you know, top three offenders or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So yes, there are plenty. I am by no means not against the use of certain natural products and remedies, but in terms of the ugly side of our healthcare system, 
you need to know the facts. And the facts are pretty much all herbal products and vitamins are not regulated. They're considered to be food. So they are not regulated as a drug or prescription drug. And what that means is they're not put to the same standard as the prescriptions that you're taking. Every time you get a pill from a prescription, it is what it is. You're getting the exact dose, you're getting the exact med, et cetera. A lot of these herbal products have no type of quality assurance whatsoever. So even though you see cinnamon 500 milligram extract, you don't even know if it's even cinnamon in there. You don't, you're just assuming that's what it is. And so the shady side of our consumerism and capitalism really is telling people to say, hey, this will improve brain cognition and this will improve your memory and this will give you energy and you'll last six hours in the bedroom. All these things come to play, but you'll find some of these products have actual prescription drugs in them. Some of them have nothing in them. Some of them have adulterants. Some of them have heavy metals that can cause toxins and cancers. They are not regulated. And so what that means is these companies can put whatever the hell they want, put it on a bottle and tell you what it is. And so that from a first standpoint, it's you don't know what you're getting, unfortunately. Now, I will say if you're going to buy certain herbals and, and natural supplements, you want to look for a, a quality grading called USP, which is the United States Pharmacopeia label. It, it literally says USP on the bottle. And usually products that have are made by Nature Made have that on most of their vitamins and supplements. So that tells me, hey, there is a rigorous quality, good manufacturing practice that is aligned with the FDA. It's not through the FDA, but it's the same rigorous procedures. that tells me you're getting the right thing for the right dose and the right quality with nothing else in it. Now, there's other stuff out there that tell you, you know, Prevagen will improve your memory and et cetera. Those are all unfortunately not proven to be true. Those are paid advertisements and paid clients. So in terms of avoiding them, here's the thing. There's a risk of, you don't know what you're getting. You don't know the quality. We don't have the evidence. Most of the times you can't even quantify what you're getting. So how can I tell you if it's really helping or not? Fifth is the mere fact that in most cases, when you're an adult and you're otherwise healthy, most things over the counter that are herbal are usually fine. The problem is herbal products have as much drug interactions as prescription pills. And we forget that those herbals and OTCs all affect each other in the body. And so there are tons of drug interactions that you need to be aware of. And because of all these more negative points I made, I'm more likely to say, just don't even take it because you don't know what you're getting. And there's more of a risk of the unknown harm versus the likely benefit that you may get. And there's some things that are like surefire, like, oh yeah, I don't have any problems with that. For instance, melatonin, I got no problem with melatonin. You can take as much melatonin as you want. For the most part, it does have some side effects, minimal. But to help people sleep, I recommend people try melatonin. Easy, right? Elderberry, love it. It's great. It's good for colds. It might knock out your symptoms for a day. Has some decent evidence. Great, good. But when you start talking about ginseng, ginkgo biloba for energy and, you know, diabetes or, you know, 
that's when we start dealing with drugs that do have very significant drug interactions. And so it's so important to make sure that if you are considering them to ask your pharmacist, are there any herbal drug interactions with what else I'm taking? Some of these meds interact with blood thinners. I've got patients who've taken pills of, of capsaicin to help lose weight, and they're wondering why they have chronic heartburn. They ended up taking heartburn meds for two years until they came to me, and then they realized, oh, it was the herbal product that caused my heartburn. So I didn't need to waste two years of copays taking and failing high-dose proton pump inhibitors like pantoprazole to still fail and then pay more money for another one that still didn't treat it. So again, mm -hmm. there's such a reactive piece here. So I don't, again, poo-poo all herbal products. I poo-poo the capitalistic side of our country and, and world that takes advantage of people who don't know any better. And that's the problem I have with most herbals and unfortunately OTCs. Yeah, I think that's a frustration for me because, you know, I would, a lot of times I would rather take a more natural product and there mm. is some evidence that, you know, getting nutrition for food from food, for example, is better absorbed mm. in the body. And so yeah. by extension, a, a more natural substance may work better. But like you said, the lack of regulation um, and just not knowing if what you're taking is what you think you're taking is, is a scary thought, especially when we have a more vulnerable person mm. taking it. Also, our aging population is the highest consumer of these products. They are the highest consumer of all prescriptions in the entire country. They're the highest consumer of all over-the-counter products in the entire country. And they're the highest consumer of all herbal products in the entire country. Mm. And we have a growing population of patients that are getting older and are more prone to self-medicate before they go to the doctor because they're that baby boomer self-reliant you know, suck it up, buttercup generation, they're going to want to self-treat before jumping to their doctor. So if they don't know that there could be harm in what they're doing, and we have less people advocating against it, or at least teaching them what could be potentially harmful, then we got more people that are dying and going to the hospital because of something that could have been avoided. And that's something that I can't sleep well at knowing. Mm -hmm. Well, Delon, I think you've made a pretty compelling case as to why we need to be talking with pharmacists and not just <laughs> any pharmacists, but ones that are really committed to safe medication management and deprescribing. And um, going back to when we talked earlier about things we can do and questions we can ask, do you think it would be appropriate for anyone on five or more medications to start working? closely with a pharmacist or is there a different threshold where it's really necessary? I would say five is a good starting point. You're going to find that people anyway are probably taking on average 12, 16, 18 when you're older. So I do recommend everyone work with a pharmacist. I do recommend they leverage and ask all the questions they can. And I do recommend everyone to stop assuming that everything they're taking is safe just because nothing is wrong now. Things can compound later. There could be spontaneous events that happen later. There could be reasons you sent to the ER just because you took a random aspirin in addition to what you're already taking. So absolutely. We have to get out this mindset of thinking that 
well, I've been on these for 20 years. Let's just keep them till I die. That's the problem. And we have to get around changing this whole reactive approach to healthcare too. And don't get me wrong, we as the patients need to re-educate ourselves on what medications are supposed to do. They're not supposed to be this cure-all for everything. They're to help you in the meantime, but we got to get to the root cause. And so we, as you know, in our country, like things quick and now, and you can't just say, oh, I'm sick. I need a pill now. Fix me now. It doesn't work that way. You have to look at the holistic problem. And so you want to have a little bit of patience with that. And so you can't just go to the doctor and say, man, I need a pill because I have a cold or something. You got you to gotta change our medication mindset. I say it all the time. You got to change our medication mindset. So yes, leverage your pharmacist. We are literally like the most available health professional in the country. You can literally go in right now and ask someone, hopefully they're not too busy giving COVID shots, their thoughts on your meds, or just say, I'm concerned about my loved one. They're on more than five medications. I've heard of polypharmacy. What are some things you would want to consider having them stop? And most times they will tell you objectively. They'll tell you what they think you should stop because pharmacists don't want you on pills. Literally, people think we do. We do not want you on any meds, period. We want you on the least possible. So until your loved one is on only vital life-standing medications, and I mean, you need to be asking every time, every quarter, every annual visit. If you're 60 and up, you're required to have a Medicare annual visit anyway. And in that Medicare annual visit, you are required to have a thorough and extensive comprehensive medication review. If you are not having that, you are not getting what is guaranteed to you by being a Medicare patient. So ask for that, and you should dedicate a clinical visit where you are talking about just the meds. If your doctor doesn't prioritize that, then talk to a pharmacist or get a new doctor. I don't know what you need to do, but it's time for us to stop putting everything on the doctor and working as a team. And this is where I think pharmacists can be that liaison between the entire healthcare team because everyone has a role here. Yeah, absolutely. I've got nothing to add. That's such a great <laughs> summary. Um, so if people want to work with you, want you to be their pharmacist as they're building their healthcare team, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, for sure. So I'm all over social media. Um, you can always Google my name, Delon Canterbury. Pretty easy to find, but I'm, again, the founder of Geriatrics. My website is geriatrics.org, which is G-E-R-I-A-T-R-X, as an x-ray, dot org. You can schedule to meet with me on my website, or you can always reach out to me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. I'm all over social media. You can search geriatrics, G-E-R-I-A-T-R-X, or my name, Elon Canterbury, or you can reach me personally on my cell, which I have on my website, which is 404-484-092. So I'll be readily available. My job is to be up close and personable. So you're not just getting another robot at the end of the line. That's why I think our healthcare system needs to change. Yes. Thank you so much, Delon. Are there any closing thoughts you have for us? I would say that the patients are the CEO of their health, okay? People who want to get off meds and actually put in the work to change their diet, change their lifestyle, they happen every day, guys. It's not like this is a unicorn thing. There are so many people out here who are 
self-treating their diabetes the right way and getting off of insulin. It's not like it's a fairy tale. This happens often medically rare, but it happens. But when it does, it's enough to disprove our usual thinking that I got to be on this stuff forever. Like you don't have to be on all this stuff forever. So the patients are the CEO of their health. Take that effort and energy to advocate and empower yourself. Leverage your pharmacist. Ask if you're on five meds or more. What can we do to get off of some of these meds? And know that you don't have to take no for an answer. If you don't like what the doctor has to say, you can get a second opinion. You can hire a pharmacist. You can do whatever you want, but don't feel like that's the final say because you still have all control of what you want to do in your care. And of course, for the best intentions, not because you're listening to some misinformed whatever. I don't want you falling prey to that either, but I just want you having objective, clear health information that can really improve your loved one's quality of life. The less meds, the better. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your wealth of knowledge and your passion and your advocacy for this topic. It's such an important thing and part of the solution in healthcare. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored to be here, Caroline, and I hope you have a great one. Appreciate you having me. You too. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and does not create a provider-patient relationship between us. If you have questions about your health, please speak to a qualified health professional. If you would like to learn more about working with me as your qualified health professional, please visit carolinemorris.com. Did you know that gratitude is good for your health? If you found value in this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a rating or review. To keep the connection going, subscribe to Elder Health Connection on your favorite podcast player to get immediate access to upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening. With love and gratitude, Caroline.